0: So you're going to play your game while I try to tell you about history.
1: So usually you can't see me playing my game when I'm on the phone. (laughs) Um,
0: So you've been on the, you've been, every time we've done one of these episodes, you've been playing your game.
1: Well, it's just, you essentially just move the color tiles and make rainbows.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: So, but I want to point out the irony that last time, we're re-recording the funny one that I did. Because you couldn't hear me, but now I have a cold because small children rub their snot on me, and
0: now you can't hear you.
1: And now I can't. I'm congested in my face.
0: Yeah. Okay. Welcome to you should. Uh, you could care. <laughs> you <laughs> could care about <laughs> this. <it>. Uh, <laughs> welcome to you should care about this. My name is John Bergen. I tell my sister mostly true stories about uh christian history to what do i do here
1: try to make me care
0: yeah and and you make jokes
1: and i try to not care pretty pretty consistently all
0: right we're on this we're on this series about women women and dropping out of the patriarchy and like women getting like especially like doing like cross-class work so we were doing the the beguins oh yes way back when so we're jumping up forward all the way to nineteenth, twentieth century United States. Yes. What do you know about the Industrial Revolution?
1: Okay. Mills. Mm-hmm. Uh, water mills. Mm-hmm. Steel mills. Uh, people move out of the city into in people move into <laughs> people move into the city. Yeah. People don't just make shirts.
0: People don't just make shirts.
1: You used to make your shirt in your house mm-hmm. and now someone will just only make shirts and you can factory. focus on th- th- factories that's what I- there's factories <laughs> you make shirts
0: yeah, yeah, yeah basically the industrial revolution is you used to make a shirt in your house and now someone makes a shirt in a factory and sells you your shirt
1: yeah um, that's what i said
0: yeah that's a that's a great summary of industrial revolution <laughs> that's basically you. all of das kapital in like a sentence <laughs> shirts <laughs> shirts <laughs> they- uh, if you're in the United States, not only are people moving to cities from the country, but people are also moving to cities from Europe. Uh, like twelve million people moved from mostly Eastern Europe to United to the United States during the Industrial Revolution. They a lot of them moved to cities. This is why we have cities like Buffalo, full of Polish people, and and uh, Pittsburgh, the city we're in right now, which is full of Polish people. So feminism. Pro. Pro. Yes. What do you know about first wave feminism?
1: Uh, racist. One of the more racist of the waves. Um, we're talking, some of them might have worn bonnets.
0: So the, the women- Are we su- talking
1: suffragettes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're pre- talking suffragettes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Suffragettes. Okay. Late 1800s, early 1900s. So
1: maybe not bonnets necessarily, but, um, probably horses. The women wanted to vote and the men said, nope. And the women said, well, but just white women. And the men said, maybe. And factories- Women worked in factories and textiles.
0: Yeah, uh, bicycles.
1: Are you just naming
0: things? (laughs) No, no. There's a whole thing uh, where there were bicycles that were invented. um, And there was a whole theory that some men put out that uh, women couldn't ride bicycles because it would dislodge your uteruses and then they would roam free throughout the body. Your
1: uteruses?
0: Plural. They would roam free throughout the body. Um, They also... Some men also argued that women couldn't ride trains because it would uh, jostle your uterus loose and then it would, like, come up to your neck.
1: I've ridden on those trains before.
0: In the late 1800s, there's this new women movement, which is a very first-wave feminist movement. Um, It's women getting professional jobs and getting college degrees, riding bicycles, often moving to cities, and getting engaged in progressive causes. It's very white middle class. Uh, It's also really queer. Um, a lot of these women are engaged in, in lesbian relationships while they're doing this. Um, and so we've got our Industrial Revolution, we've got our like first wave feminist like, young women go to Wellesley, get an English degree, move to New York, get a typist job, and get involved in like some progressive cause. And one of the, wh- the third factor in this, in this sort of response to the Industrial Revolution, is the social gospel movement. So this is, um, do you remember, um, way, way back, talking about the Oberlin and Wellington rescue. Yes. Um, do you remember the word postmillennialist? Yes. What's the word postmillennialist mean? Hang on, Eamon has an answer. Eamon, what's a postmillennialist? So, postmillennialists are the folks who believe that uh, the reign of Jesus begins after a thousand years of suffering, as opposed to before or during a thousand years of suffering. Is that correct? So, postmillennialism, it, it's not a thousand years of suffering, it's the golden age. That's right. So, what is the thousand years of suffering? No, it's not suffering. There's some time of tribulation, is there not? There, well, there's always a time of tribulation. <laughs> but uh, postmillennialism, the, politically, the difference between pre- premillennialism and postmillennialism is that premillennialism says that Jesus comes back before the reign, which basically means things have to get worse and, worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and then Jesus will come back and save us. Postmillennialism is like things are going to get better and better and better and better and better. We're going to have a thousand years of the golden age. And then Jesus is going to come back. So it's, are we trying to make the world a better place? Are we trying to watch it burn? I think we're trying to watch it burn. That's where I came out when I read all of this stuff. Watch it burn. That's why I always- Aaron, you had jokes? Go outside, (laughs) Amen. This is going to be a a shit show to edit. I hate all of you. (laughs) Go outside.
1: Um, Oh, my post uh, post Post-millennials are the people that don't just ruin brunch. They they ruin leper. Post-millennials are the people that don't just ruin rosé. They ruin the entire wine industry. Post-millennials are the people that don't just care about conflict-free diamonds. They don't even wear rings at all. What are the other millennial jokes that are out there?
0: I thought you were going to make a Post Malone joke.
1: Oh, man! <laughs> Post- post-millennials are the ones that don't just have two braids and face tattoos. They have three braids and face tattoos.
0: That one didn't land as quite as well. No,
1: nope, I didn't have it. <laughs>
0: the so social gospel movement is a later branch of post-millennialism, so it's different from uh, a lot of the evangelical theologies we see today, um, and it puts a big emphasis on the kingdom of God, right? It, uh, this, yes. This huge idea of, uh, so Jesus talks a lot about kingdom of God. We're going to, we Jesus are a part of the kingdom lot. of God. Jesus talks a lot. Well, some more times than others. Uh, but the kingdom of God is a thing we're a part of, it's a thing we're building, and They really concretely identify the kingdom of God as a thing that happens on earth that involves change in social relationships and change in economic relationships. And basically, they equate it with Christian socialism. Yes. So it's a a broadly socialist movement arguing for sort of creating, turning the United States into a society that actually functions on the principles that Jesus lays out. Yes. We're clear? Yes. Great. So we got our industrial revolution in one camp.
1: Yes. Feminists.
0: Our feminists we got our social gospel folks. Yes. Social gospel is mainly remembered as a bunch of men who say things. Walter Rauschenbusch wrote a book. Other I'm people, sure he did. Other people wrote books. I'm not interested in a history of men who said things. Me um, either. Because the other side of the social gospel movement is a movement of women who actually did things. Men said things. Women did things. This is a brief history of humanity. In uh, England, in the early 1900s, there's you know, there's something established called a settlement house. Yes. Settlement houses. Toynbee Hall. Toy and boat.
1: Toy boat. Toy boat. <sighs>
0: okay. Toynbee so, Hall. this...
1: Mr. Scott was our history teacher in high school. He taught us U.S. history. And he taught us about Jane Addams.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you know about Jane Addams?
1: She has two braids, just like Post Malone, and works with monkeys, chimpanzees and
0: that's Jane Goodall.
1: Jane Adams worked in England. Nope. Worked in New York City. Chicago City. Chicago. Chicago with uh settlement houses which started in England.
0: You want to do the podcast? Did you want to take it over?
1: Was that how your turn? <laughs> was it is is in England involved?
0: Well yeah, so the first settlement house is called Toynbee Hall as I was saying in England. I was distracted by the name Toynbee. Jane Addams and some other folks go over. They're like, oh, this is a good idea. And they go back to the South side of Chicago and they start Hull House, which is this experiment in mostly middle-class, college-educated women, professional middle-class college-educated women going down, moving into working-class immigrant community, highly Italian at that point, just trying to meet the needs of mostly women in that neighborhood. And so it begins often, um, this this settlement house, Hull House, begins with this idea of, you know, training immigrant women in how to be American, uh, which is complicated.
1: Assimilation? Yeah,
0: complicated is a generous way. Yeah, it's problematic for sure. But as settlement houses are established throughout the country, a big thing that undergirds them is they are, they start by listening to people in the community. What are the needs that you need that we as like good women coming in to provide charity can, yeah. can provide. So they're they're really action oriented. What are the things you need? What can we do? And so settlement workers tried to find solutions for our social problems. In the process of trying to find solutions to the problems that immigrant women are facing settlement houses and these middle class women moving into inner city areas become involved in housing reform and factory safety and children's health and legal aid programs um, and creating parks and playgrounds and green spaces in neighborhoods where there aren't any parks and playgrounds and green spaces and theaters and uh, english classes and all sorts of things it rapidly transforms from this movement that's purely about white upper class women going in to provide charity to upper class women going in and starting to do community organizing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously, there are some problems with this. Like we talked about, this is sort of, it's assimilationist in mm-hmm. some of its bent. Uh, it's charity-focused as, as a means of social change in some mm-hmm. situations. And also in a lot of situations, it's pretty segregated. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of exceptions. One of the, full, the first settlement houses in Philadelphia was set up in a predominantly black neighborhood when W.E.B. Du Bois uh, writes his, the first book, of sociology ever written called the Philadelphia Negro. Mm-hmm. He's living in a settlement house when he writes that. So it's it's an. Was it run
1: by white women or was it run by black women? It was
0: run by white women. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. six of one, half dozen the other. That's not what that phrase means.
1: Two sets forward, one set back.
0: I don't know if that's right either. Okay, so don't
1: look a gift horse in the mouth.
0: So Vita Scudder, let me tell you about Vita Scudder. She's born in eighteen sixty one. Uh she comes from a well-off family. She's an English professor at Wellesley.
1: <coughs> yes.
0: Um and Vita Scudder is also involved, while well, she's a professor at Wellesley, uh, in forming Denison House, a uh, settlement house in Boston. And through the the work in that community in Boston, she starts supporting uh women workers who are on strike. And she has, she ends up speaking at a lot of strike rallies and walking the picket line with women striking for better wages. And so I kind of read you a quote. Yes. So this is this uh, wealthy woman who's built these relationships and has been moved to, to show up on the strike line. She says, quote, take the working girl, for example, and gather up in imagination the total effect of all the benevolent agencies which exist to help her. Measure the force of their reaction on her personality in comparison with that of two crude economic facts, the wage she receives and the duration of her working day. Where can one point to social sacrifice or service on a scale sufficiently large radically to alter the course of events? The answer may be painful, let let it at least be honest. Economic necessity is the determining base of permanent social change. The appeal to moral incentive can accomplish splendid work in detail. It can bring blessed help to un- unnumbered individuals, comforting, inspiring, and achieving once in a while Under the most depressing circumstances, miracles of rehabilitation, practical and spiritual. But unaided, it is in the main helpless to to compass that decent society we crave, and which to our shame 2,000 years of Christianity has failed to realize. So, in case all of that fancy English professor language obscured the point, she basically is saying 2,000 years of Christian charity has failed to alter the economic reality for working people. What we need is something that will increase the wages that women receive and decrease the number of hours they have to work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We need a high minimum. We need a high minimum wage, and we need an eight-hour workday. And charity doesn't matter. Okay. And that is Vita Scudder's formal position, and she only learns that because she's part of a settlement house and goes and builds relationships with working women.
1: So like she makes a good point.
0: Yeah. Um, <coughs> she died on October tenth. Six in
1: days before I was born,
0: nineteen fifty-four. Wrong year. Uh huh. And so her her death, October tenth, is still a feast day for the Episcopal Church in the United States. So on October tenth, let's all have a feast and
1: eat some victuals for a Vita.
0: That's actually not the not the worst line you've had. It's not. Mm-mm. Um. So this is sort of the legacy of settlement houses is that they um, pop up in the early 20th century as first this charity process and then become this, uh, means by which some women are radicalized and, and communities begin to do organizing. Um, they provide a lot of strength for, uh, women's union organizing, uh, and ultimately they lead to the formation of social work as a profession. Yes. Um, Jane Addams is often credited as the, the sort of godmother of social work most settlement houses no longer exist today or if they do they exist as uh like neighborhood organizations mm-hmm. organizing community events and like political events and stuff like that but yeah this it's this this is fascinating fascinating experiment in like women trying to take really seriously the effects of the industrial revolution and what it means to be a new woman in this moment and trying to take seriously the social gospel and not just be you know some man preaching nice words on a sunday morning but actually like Moving their entire lives into a city and changing their life, doing stuff. Doing stuff. Uh, what did you learn today?
1: I learned about the Industrial Revolution in the t-shirts in the factories, and I learned about uh, Jane Goodall. It was with the chimpanzees, and Jane Adams was with the social work and mm-hmm. in Chicago, and it started off as charity, and it moved into a way that women were able to radicalize and do community organizing and Vita Scuttle, Scudder Scudder yeah, it was close was had words many many mm. words about um, how Christianity Charity Charity of Christianity hath failed and will do better
0: as a t-shirt that a friend of mine is designing says uh, God gave us one day of rest unions gave us two